Alright, welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sando, joined, as always, by the Simon Phoenix to my John Spartan. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Phoenix! I'm John Spartan. You're, you're Simon I don't Phoenix. care. They're the same character. Alright, our very own Edgar Friendly. That's right. It's Eric Ronovac. Eric, how you doing? Ooh, man, I'll take the Edgar Friendly. You know, by the way, I can't let it pass. I... I wasn't here last week because of the onset of Snowmageddon. And yeah, I am pissed you to Batman Voices Without Me. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I told you. That Why? Was it, were you more mad about that or when I did the Brett impression? What was more? What made uh, you more angry? That's, I won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I think you know the answer to that one. Okay. <laughs> for <laughs> big news this week in, in Seahawks news. All right. You ready for this? The biggest story of the week? Let's do it. Earl Thomas is enrolled his kids in school in Austin, Texas. That's right. That was the biggest story of the week. Um, a lot of people are saying this is a pretty strong sign that he's not coming back to Seattle. But, uh, I mean, he doesn't know where he's going to play next year, and that's his hometown. I don't. I think it's a pretty strong sign that he's enrolling his kids in Austin, Texas. Yeah, the, the, school, is, the school that is closest to where he was born. It's not a big deal. It, if he, th- There's a small chance he'll be back, and there's a big chance he won't be back, just like before he did that. Yep. Um. Okay, and then other Seahawks uh, news, um, rumor that we're going to franchise tag Frank Clark. Um, I think we all expect that. Eric, would you, would you rather back up the Brinks truck, get him the get him an, under a long-term deal, or are you okay with having a franchise tag? I'm okay with the franchise tag because I don't think that it's going to come to the franchise tag. Or, I'm sorry, it won't come to the uh, Walter Jones sign a tender and only play one year. I think this is... To guarantee Frank Clark his payday, we'll back up the Brinks truck, reach that that magical number that uh, both parties love, and he'll be a Seahawk for at least the next four years. Yeah, defensive end franchise tag next year is seventeen million. That's actually not horrible for what what I would expect. I would expect Frank Clark's AAV to be between sixteen and eighteen million if he signed a long term contract. So just getting one year of the long term. Prices seems fine to me. Well, I think he's young enough in his career, and he's seen the Seahawks, you know, guarantee the second year deal for players. Sometimes the third year deal, or the third uh, time, I should say, the third term. And I feel like he can't be mad at that unless it were to happen again. Well, he's already said he's fine playing under the tag, and I think the whole thing is we would expect him to sign the tag, then negotiate with him under the tag. This is really just be making sure that there's no issue with him being under contract. And he's kind of the off-season priority. So tag him, negotiate, and I wouldn't be I would be kind of surprised if we didn't have a deal announced before the end of training camp. All right. And the uh, last big story, uh, while you are talking about Cam Chancellor, because he had a big a big portion of his contract got got. Um, you know, but it doesn't matter because if we cut him, the contract's fully guaranteed because he's not passing a physical. Yep. So, so it, it doesn't really matter that this five point two million dollar roster bonus uh, got fully guaranteed because the whole contract's fully guaranteed in case of injury. Um, do you think the reason that the Seahawks have been so gun shy about Earl's contract and maybe even Russ's contract is that is the way we got burned on Cam and uh, Sherman's contracts? I think definitely uh, with Earl, I'm not so sure about with Russell. I mean, Russ, they're going to lock up regardless because they can just invest more in the offensive line. So what are they waiting? What, what are they waiting for with Russ? Then what do you think? One more year, probably just to to are they just, have a little more wiggle room? Are they hoping that the market resets to like a a, a better number? I think, I know it's don't. Really- I don't know if that would happen. I mean, look at 
I mean, Flacco just got traded today, and he's still making an insane amount of money. $26 million. $26 million. Well, 16 uh, of which is being paid by the Ravens, and 10 is by Denver. Yeah. That's right. So but they're paying $16 million for a fourth-round pick. There's other, <laughs> there's other uh, quarterbacks that are looking for you know their extensions, their paydays. I think they're probably just waiting for the cap to go up a little more. Kevin, we don't actually know if it's a fourth-round pick yet. Yeah, because you can't officially trade until March thirteenth or whatever. Yeah, so it could be a it could be a fifth round pick. They did say mid rounds, so yeah, gentlemen, well, place they your have bets. a whole month to think about the fact that they just traded for Joe Flacco. So I would expect it to go down slowly. Do you think the Denver Broncos were like, "Oh, do you want Case Keenum too?" And the Ravens were like, "No." No, I think the Denver Broncos were like, "Well, you know, then we'll have two Joe Flaccos." <laughs> uh, so. I don't know. I think that the biggest thing going on here, I think the camp factor is real. I think the other thing is the team wasn't sure what they were going to have trying this rebuild. And if turning the roster over, they were particularly unsuccessful, it would have probably led them to kind of tear down the team a little further. But with this turnover of the roster and the team having success and looking like they're on a path for more sustained success, I think I'd be surprised if they don't make those deals to move forward. You know, if the team would have been 5-11 and 11 last year, then maybe they would go, okay, well, let's just burn it down and try and, you know, uh, yeah. catch lightning in a bottle again. And the team did the opposite of that. Nathan, uh, you might be annoyed by this, but quick question. Do you guys see leadership meaning like coaching leadership from Cam, do you think that they'll try and keep him in a role? It seems He's always on the sidelines, so it seems like they're grooming him for something like that. Yeah, but I but I just don't know what the what I never seen him with a clipboard, I don't, and he's not, he's not, you know, hitting the pads of guys before they go out. That's why I asked the question. I wonder if there's a contractual element to that, though, because he still is technically a player under contract. Mm. Good point. But yeah. it would let them have him on the sidelines. I have no idea. So, um, okay, that was all the, that was all the uh, top Seahawks... Uh, news. There's just a bunch of like opinion pieces, like Seahawks might need Shaquem Griffin to replace KJ Wright, and just stuff like that. That is like totally off-season speculation that, that we will get into later. Doesn't, that doesn't matter. Um, okay. Um, NFL stories. The Browns kicked off their free agency by signing Kareem Hunt. Uh, Eric, what do you think about the fact that a guy does something six months later? It's now okay to sign him. Like what? What is what is the deal with the NFL that's different than maybe some of these other like other sports? I feel like if something like this happens, it's a more permanent effect. Like they're po- poisoned for everyone, but the NFL seems to just let people come back straight away. It's like a forgive and forget kind of thing. This is kind of a it's touchy subject. I mean, we, obviously, we we signed a guy that that's literally going to jail like a hundred percent, and people it didn't even seem like it was a big deal to a lot of people. But we're okay with that crime, right? I mean, I don't know. It's I, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm. It's a victimless crime. It's it's a rhetorical he didn't pay question. Back all the money, so I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know who's getting hurt anymore. Yeah, but I I feel like, uh, you know, the the white collar crime is not as bad as the hitting a woman. I feel like in the NFL there is no clear. Um, there's no like guidelines for this, right? There's no guidelines, but there's also there's no consequences. Ray Rice. Um. It's and a really touchy subject. And now the Browns get to have like the. Uh, and this is the thing is this is it feels weird because they they have like a top fifteen running back for a million dollars. Well, I'm I'm just gonna say this. I'm not gonna fault the Browns because before you get mad at the Browns, they jumped on something before someone else would have. 
You don't think the Ravens were like licking their chops at Kareem Hunt? Well, and this is also not a modern problem. Let's not let's not forget that. I mean, you go all the way back to uh, Phillips getting signed by the Rams yeah. after like murdering people. Basically, Tom, Tom Cable continues to get fired. Tom or, Cable, higher, higher. yeah, coaches getting it. This is this is a non-unique scenario. This is a problem that has been continuous within the NFL. And I mean, the NFL is saying that there's not really much we can do. And as far as what Kareem Hunt did. I wouldn't put it up there with Ray Rice, but it's it's close enough where I don't want Cream Hunt on my team. Yeah, so so here's the thing that's tough for me is like if it was my if it was the Seahawks that signed him, I'd probably be like trying to rationalize it in my head because it's my favorite team. But I don't know, it, it, and it's hard because the Browns like they're like the lovable losers. Like you don't want to be like you don't want to bury the Browns. It's it's they're finally not terrible, right? Like you want to like love the Browns. Well, but. and let's go a step further. If if he gets black if he gets blackballed from the league without the actual league saying anything he'd have grounds for a con- for a collusion lawsuit yeah it's because there's nothing that would indicate that he's not talented enough to play on an NFL roster so this it, would be a scenario just, where the league needs to step in if that's something they prioritize otherwise this is what happens. This is like Goodell. This is like a classic Goodell situation where there's no clarity in any of these issues. And it like makes everything really irritating from a fan's perspective. Yeah, he really is the successor to David Stern. He yeah. Just, <laughs> they, just need, they just need clarity in situations like this. Like, you know, if this happens, you know. like. And here's another thing. Julian, like, I'm going to go back a little bit. Julian Edelman wins Super Bowl MVP, and they don't mention the steroid suspension one time. The whole broadcast. If that happened in baseball, they would have talked about it so much. And I feel like there's there's just this there's just this ongoing problem in the NFL where they don't want to address their problems they want to hide them. Well, it worked for Bud Selig. Well, and they did that with the no call against the Saints. It only came out in a in a lawsuit, and Goodell finally had to talk about it. I know that Cream Hunt's lawyer was like, "Hey, you didn't kneel. You're gonna be okay." <laughs> Basically. So, all right. If you have a, what do you like? So do we all agree though? The NFL needs like clear conduct. Uh, expect uh, conduct and rules expectations. <laughs> they they need they don't need clear. They need conduct and conduct and rule explanations. All right. Yeah. Then the last thing Kevin already mentioned is Joe Flacco's a Bronco now. Uh, uh, it's well established on this podcast. I don't like Joe Flacco. Guy Kevin agrees. Uh, sure. If you want to, he can throw farther than Case Keenum. So sure, if that's what you want to do, if that's worth a fourth round pick to you, good on good on you, Broncos. I guess. John always is cannot find a good quarterback to save his life. He, like, lucked into Peyton Manning. Who, when we go over drafts, I will be happy to point out people I'd rather draft in the third through fifth round than <laughs> trade for... So, I want to make it clear. With the pick that they're probably trading for Joe Flacco, I will give you a list of people I'd rather draft than pay Joe Flacco $10 million. Well, they are talking that the winner in this deal is the quarterback the Broncos take in the first or second round to sit under Flacco for a couple sure, of years. because Case Keenum is not capable of being the same kind of... Co- you just, hey, that poop over there, that doesn't smell like the poop that's over here. Let's trade poop. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like Flacco was real medium, 22nd best uh, uh, pro football focus rating, and Keenum was 28th. I mean, it's like 72 versus 70. Yep, and they both throw too many picks. And they both like the biggest aren't mobile. Case Keenum, I, Case Keenum, I feel like is a slightly more accurate passer, but he fumbles all the time and so doesn't throw deep as well. 
So he, so he makes up for it. He's also a surprisingly good runner. I don't know. Who cares? They both suck. Uh, well, they won't both suck. They both they're are both below. about the twentieth to twenty fifth best quarterback both in the NFL. Below curve. So if Flacco gets better and plays for another eight years, he will be Case Keenum. All right, here we go. So um, let's get into our Seahawks topic. We're going to just do our our dissection of the offense today, and then next starting next week, we're going to go into our individual position groups, starting with secondary. I decided. Um, so, so, cause that's the one I've done the most research on, uh, <laughs> selfishly I'm calling it out. So, okay. Uh, so we'll go sec- start secondary next week and work from there. Uh, let's go start with our quarterback, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson took every pass attempt base, uh, basically for the Seahawks this season, played 17 games. He threw 454 passes. He had 36 touchdowns versus just seven interceptions. Um, what's your, what was your favorite Russell moment this season, Eric? Honestly, I feel like the the Kansas City game as a whole, I don't know if I can give you one moment, but I felt like they're those games where you look at the the passing the torch games, and they're also the games where it's the two young hot shots. This was the two athletic quarterbacks that are going to be in the same area for years to come. Outside of playoff appearances, they're only going to meet every four years. Uh, I'm sorry, Super Bowl appearances every four years. And for him to take that game, lead us at home, and kind of show that he's still the boss of this type of uh, basically athletic, a non-stationary quarterback, the guy who makes on-the-fly decisions with, you know, scoop passes, can run, um, no-look passes. Uh, Russell's not that stupid to do that. But I uh, I just love that game. And it's uh, actually 17th on the NFL Network's. Greatest games of 2018. So my mine is from the same game. So I'm like, oh nice. Go here. So it's it's that moonshot throw to Tyler Lockett from that exact game. Oh, that was he, pretty. Where he throws it like 800 thousand feet into the air. Now here's the thing: <laughs> it's, if, it bounces off of the moon and then, <laughs> and then into Tyler Lockett's arms. If you ask me, my favorite Tyler Lockett moment of the year, I would have definitely said that because yeah. that was that was more like it wasn't Tyler Lockett's coming out party. But it was like, yeah, yeah, he's 100 It was, a na- it was like the national baby. national stage uh, noticing. You know, like yeah. the national stage finally got a taste of Tyler Lockett. And remember, never forget, everyone, I picked us to lose that game. You're welcome. All right, Kevin. Uh, so I think a very similar theme. Uh, there was kind of a, a trend in the year of waiting to unleash the Russ. And it did not happen very often. I'm going to go with. Along the lines of Eric's answer, the Carolina game. Mm. We needed every bit of Russell Wilson to be able to win that game, and we got every bit of Russell Wilson. So I guess I'll go with the touchdown pass to David Moore um, that tied the game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, But, I mean, really, it was just Russ making plays the entire game, especially in the second half, when we needed the offense to do something, we needed to pick up, and... It was a lot of um, a lot of medium passes, a lot of uh, like kind of shots in the first down. It was just it was Russ taking over a game and being brutally efficient. Okay, Eric, pull down your pants and get ready because I've got a Russell Wilson stat for you. You ready? Uh, <laughs> Give it to Russell me, Wilson was the only quarterback to throw a touchdown against Richard Sherman this season. Also, the only quarterback to have a perfect quarterback rating against Richard Sherman this season. Oh. That's pretty. 
That's that's just pretty. Everyone, that's all there is to it. Seahawks Nest fans, tweet that at Russell Sherman. Be sure to get ready to get blocked. <laughs> <laughs> he is not shy with the block button. Uh, he really should have been playing left tackle. He's like field goals. He's that good at blocking. Uh, okay. Hey, Ouch. Um, any any other things you want to bring up? Russell Wilson. Uh, cool Russell Wilson stat. Only two NFL quarterbacks uh, were in the top five pro of NFL rating, both when under pressure and when not under pressure. They were Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan. Um, you know, every other quarterback was significantly better at one of those things than the other. <sighs> Let's see. Russell Wilson. Uh, Ru- uh, 454 attempts, including playoffs. He had, he was in like the bottom 12 for number of attempts by a NFL starting quarterback, and he was also in like he was also in like the top five, I think, top eight for touchdown passes. Um, he's a big part of the reason why our yardage our yards per game number is not great. As an offense, but our points per game number is excellent. Russell Wilson had the third most deep passing yards of any quarterback in the NFL with 1,100. Um, Russell Wilson was also third in the league in NFL rating off of play action, which is pretty sweet. Um, fourth off of no play action. So, all, all in all, I so mean. So, Russell Wilson throwing the ball, good things happen. Guess what? Russell Wilson, elite. Okay, we can just say it. Russell Wilson is elite, he's good at everything. Um, Only limited by his this is, opportunities this, this year. Is, yeah, this I is agree. why I think we get so frustrated when Russ, when they come out with a conservative game plan and they run the ball so much and stuff because Russell Wilson is so consistently excellent. And the question becomes, do you guys think that a increase in Russell Wilson's volume will lead to a strong decrease in his efficiency? Uh, I, I haven't seen any evidence that that's going to happen. I mean... It's going to go down a little, but it's not going to drip. I'm sorry, drop. It's not going to dip drastically. Uh, I think if you look at trends over his career, um, you can see that there are years where he's been asked to throw the ball more often. His completion percentage is always in like that 65% neighborhood. Um, His touchdown to interception ratio, uh, you know, it changes a little bit because he's become more efficient as a quarterback. Um, Just kind of pulling up the numbers here real quick just to be able to give some specifics. But there are years where he's been asked to do more. And in those years, uh, you know, 546 attempts in 2016, uh, 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Uh, Last year, he had over 500 attempts again and 553 attempts and 34 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Um, Still over 60% completion percentage. you know, I think he's shown that he can do it, and the deep ball numbers have never wavered. If you just look at their deep ball stats in games and in stretches where he throws deep more, it never goes down. He's just really good at that, and that's something we're set up to be able to do well. Right. Um, so let's get to the running backs. Um, Seahawks minted a 1,000-yard rusher this season. And actually, if you combine all three of the running backs, they combined for well over 2,000 yards. Um, Also, all three of our top running backs would have been our leading rusher last year. Chris Carson, Mike Davis, and Rashad Penny um, had odd excellent seasons, each of them averaging at least four and a half yards per rushing attempt. So start off, um, Chris Carson, he is a tank. He runs through people. He created 3.3 yards after contact per rushing attempt this season. Good for, I think, fourth among running backs that re- received any kind of uh, significant workload. 
Um, let's start with Eric. Okay, Eric. These three guys, I, it's pretty certain we're going to run them back all next year. These are going to be our three running backs next year. Do you do you have a preference for how these guys get used next year? Looking forward, um, I want to have a coaching change, a coaching scheme change, I should say, in the way we relied on the running back. Meaning, so Kevin just talked about how Russ was limited by his uh, his chances, his opportunities. I feel like Rashad Penny is talent that will be huge for this team. I don't know if that's going to be next year or not. I want to see Rashad Penny. I want to see Chris Carson continue to wreck opposing defenses. But I feel like we still need to have Russell lead this team every single game, um, you know, to try and throw the ball more. I want to dominate teams with our offense. Mike Davis may or may not be on this team. On the speculation threads, there's all this. The Seahawks might be in the market for a running back in the offseason. We have two very good backs, and we have one very good uh, backup utility back. I don't really think there needs to be much of a change outside of maybe give Carson a little bit of a rest because, let's face it, that that much banging around is going to yeah. lead to another injury sooner rather than Chris later. Chris Carson got 831 of his 1150. 51 yards after first contact that was the fifth most yards gained after contact of anyone in the league if he would have hit all 16 games he probably would have been really close to first which was ezekiel elliott at 949 he definitely took uh, a, a beating this season and um yeah you're right the, those miles are going to add up they definitely need to do something to make sure that he doesn't take that kind of beating again yeah i'd also love to see him south of 250 carries i think that would be a good thing uh, how how south are we talking, Kevin? I think if he's somewhere between 200 and 225 carries, I would. That's a really nice workload. Like that's still asking a lot for him, and he's still being the battering ram of the offense. But I would love to see that and see Rashad Penny closer to 150 touches. I mean, to be honest, like 460 and running back carries, or it's cl- I don't know the exact amount, but it's close to that. Is a lot in 2018 NFL, and I'd like to see this, that total number reduced a little bit. Just, I agree. Just thinking uh, forward a little bit. One cool thing is, like, last year we didn't have hardly any runs of more than 10 yards. Like, And this year Carson had 33, Davis had 13, and Penny had 14. That's a lot of 10-plus yard runs. That's a, that's a good sign for, you know, just an overall improvement of the ability of the offensive line to open up holes. Yeah, another thing that I think I would like to – another thing I'd like to bring up, just looking, kind of projecting to next year, uh, Rashad Penny showed that he can be a bit of a home run back. He has the ability to bust a big play, especially if he can get the ball in space. And if you look at the role that Carson plays, the role that Penny plays, you see an opportunity to set up a situation where, you know, Carson can be your uh, success rate back. He's the guy who gets you the yards you know you need. So when you need four yards, he'll go out and get you four yards. When you need five yards, he'll go out and get you five yards. Rashad Penny is a roll of the dice. He might get you 30. He might get you negative one. Sean Alexander. And the benefit of that is by having Carson as your stable back, then you can have Penny in there in those situations where maybe you need a lottery ticket or maybe it's second and three or second and four after a good play. You know, throw Penny in there and see if he can bust one. And if he can't, you still have your efficiency play that you can make after that. So... I think from a talent perspective, we're in a really good position. I agree with you, Nathan, um, and I think we're all saying the same thing. We need to see the pass game being relied upon more, but 
I think we have the formula for a really good run game here. Carson broke 45 rush or for, made he either broke or made a tackler miss 45 times this season. That's disgusting. That was tied for first in the NFL with Derek Henry and Adrian Peterson's corpse. Um, <laughs> I mean that so, guy's that guy's like 32 years old. That's pretty. That's pretty great. I like to point that out. So Good for AP, uh, 45 avoided tackles on uh, 260 attempts. So that's basically uh, a little better than once every six rushes. He's breaking a tackle or uh, um, leaving a guy in the dust. Like that's really good. Yeah. Then uh, I mean, there are two guys that would have definitely been ahead of him if they played full seasons: Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But still. Uh, the fact that he did what he did in 14 games is pretty impressive. Coming off of a bad leg injury, like th- there's reason to believe he might have a higher ceiling. All right, wide receiver. Um, Tyler Hawk. Tyler Lockett got all the hype this year, putting up a 158.3, a perfect QB rating in his connections with Russell Wilson. <laughs> also the first 1,000-yard receiving season in quite some time for the Seahawks. Um, Doug Baldwin had an up-and-down year uh, fighting a knee injury, but still managed to put up 650 and five touchdowns. David Moore played a steady man, third receiver, 445 and five touchdowns. Brandon Marshall and Jaron Brown somewhat disappointed us all, I think. Uh, although maybe Jaron Brown less than Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall was a huge letdown. Brandon Marshall was bad. Uh, so um, what did you guys see for this year from the wide receivers group? And uh, what, what sticks out to you as you look back at the, uh, at the wide receivers? Kevin, uh, kick it off. I think a very clear thing is that if Doug Baldwin can come back healthy, we officially have two top receiver options, which is something we haven't had here in a long time, not since Golden Tate left town. So Lockett emerging was really good, but it kind of highlighted how much we are leaning on him. When you look at the fact that Baldwin, uh, Doug Baldwin only was in 14 games, including the playoffs. And he missed significant chunks of a few of those 14 games. And he was still by far our number two receiver. Uh, Russ didn't have a lot of options to throw to, which makes me a little frustrated we didn't see more from Jaron Brown. I feel like when he was utilized, he was effective. I think he's an interesting player. I think the Brandon Marshall experiment was officially a mistake. And if we properly balance Jaron Brown and David Moore, we probably could have gotten more out of our receiving core. Yeah. Um, among wide receivers who appeared in all 16 games, only three players managed to uh, not drop any passes. Uh, oh, this is like a, I set a minimum number of targets for this. I think I put like 40 something. Uh, that's Josh Reynolds, DeAndre Hopkins, and your very own Tyler Lockett. So that's a, that's a fun for you. Ball- well, outside of Hopkins had Ball- much more Baldwin only had productivity. One. Baldwin only had one drop, by the way. Yeah, uh, and it was a very un-Baldwin-like drop. That was a weird one. It sticks out to me. I actually remember it, which is... <laughs> well, I mean, that's because in the last like three seasons, I think Baldwin has uh, one total drop. Right. Okay, let's see. Uh, in the last three seasons, he has... Oh, yes, he had one this year and one last year, and then four the year before that, so... Yeah, I guess in the last two years, two drops is pretty great. I think the f- <laughs> year he had two years four spread. drops where he was like going out of bounds. I, I don't know. I maybe revisionist history, but they weren't memorable drops. They weren't real. But I will say Baldwin's um, fake fake drops. Mm-hmm. Baldwin's catch percentage was uh, a little lower than his normal, which again isn't too surprising since he was battling injury. Uh, Lockett's is probably unsustainable, but super high. 80, he caught eighty six percent of the passes that he was targeting. But he'll be north of seventy percent. I think that's, that's something his, that he just and does. If you take out the uncatchable balls, of which there was five, then it's sixty sixty one for sixty six. Yeah, that's, that's gross. Like, 
That's so crazy to me. That that it's that's, not fair to expect that. But that's the again. thing is Lockett and Baldwin are both really high efficiency receivers, which is kind of cool because then it allows a guy like David Moore, who's kind of a jump ball guy, um, maybe won't necessarily be super efficient if he ends up being your third option as an outside receiver. You have two guys that move the chains. Doug Baldwin is a chain mover. Tyler Lockett's a chain mover. 39 first downs for Tyler Lockett on his 61 receptions, 33 on 53 for Baldwin. Those are like, so that's some chain. That's insane. That's some chain moving for sure. And there's young guys coming. I feel that. Are you a Josh Reynolds truther? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) No, I, either from the draft, Amara Darbo truther, excuse me. I feel like this this he, third receiver he, he will work back itself on our out. Practice squad, he correct? did end up back on our practice yes. squad. The, the Patriots were like, no, thank you. Oh, I'd also like to point out Lockett, six defensive pass interferences for 182 yards. <laughs> like, I know it's kind of dumb, but that's a skill. That's a legitimate skill. I don't think it's dumb, Kevin. And right. that's a lot of yards. And those are usually chunk yard plays that can keep a drive alive. Like, do not underestimate what that is. Those are the real hidden yards. Uh, my favorite takeaway from the wide receiver core this year is Paul Richardson. <laughs> a year ago, we were like, "Man, we gotta re- we gotta replace Paul Richardson." Paul Richardson did not drop a pass last year, but he also only he, also played like games. Games. he, <laughs> he only <laughs> caught three passes. It's it was a situation where I was a little concerned, and I really liked P. Rich, and we did not miss him one bit. No, Lockett stepped up in the way that we all thought he could, but were. I mean, timid be, in saying that he would. Pocket was always kind of a question of health, too. Right? Yeah. So, but it, it seemed like Pete Carroll had he had faith that he was going to be, you know, better than average. I'm going to speak. Paid off. I want to speak just a little bit to the down the road thing because I think there's two ways that the Seahawks can approach the wide receiver position in the off season. One is you trade, have like, trade for Antonio Brown. <laughs> Let me, one dream, is, let me dream, Kevin. You have th- one, one is you have three guys who are interchangeable in their skill set because that's a big benefit with Lockett and Baldwin is they can line up at either outside or uh, slot. slot receiver, and they can do both outside positions. Uh, that makes it really, if you're going to be creative on offense, that's a big asset. If you get a third guy who's that way, oh. and so when you run receivers out there, on a different play, they can all line up in different spots. It can really like wreak havoc with uh, defensive scheming because you can make sure you get the guy you want in single coverage, and that's devastating. That is where I will not be. I'll try and remember this whole speech you gave when we take a receiver in like the third round this year, and I'm like, girl, why did we do it? Well, yeah. because the other thing we can do is we can try and get like a six foot five guy to play on the outside, and just jump ball everything. So Tyler Lockett lined up in the slot. Um, 459 uh, times. So he got a lot more slot play than Doug did this year. But the, it's just it's just the option of of either one that I think makes it kind of work for the for the Seahawks. Yeah. So they they definitely leaned Tyler's direction this year. He had 26 receptions in the slot. Um, I can't even find Doug on this. Oh, Doug had 27 receptions. 351 times he lined up in the slot. So I mean that's that's similar, right? Like they both. Was yeah, when you consider uh, Doug Baldwin's lower playing time, I would say in games they were both in, the ratio seems pretty similar. It's just Lockett probably got the bulk of the yeah, Lockett, slot when it wasn't. Yeah, Lockett got about 100 more snaps in the slot than Doug Baldwin did. Pretty cool. All right, that was interesting. I'm glad I looked, you, you convinced me to look that up, Kevin. That was neat. All right. <laughs> oh, and I also died live on there. Um, let's go to tight ends. 
uh, Ed Dixon and the Will Disley. The beginning of the Will Disley era. Will Disley and Ed Dixon Preview. split uh, one season, and then Nick Vanette played the whole season. <laughs> uh, I thought that, okay, let's just go with this. I think that all of these guys were okay. Uh, I think like it's easy to blow up Will Disley because it was so impressive, but it was also eight receptions, and let's like really Dude, Will Disley's them. blocking was really he's a, impressive. He's a good blocker, but I'm just saying like it was. He was our second best was, blocking tight end. It was this like year. three and a one tenth of a game, and it was eight receptions. By the way, we we forgot to include a tight end. Which one? Fan. Oh, I put him on the line. I put him on the offensive line page, and I actually wrote down how many tight end snaps versus right tackle. I know snaps. you did, and it was way more tight end snaps. Yeah. So okay, um, <laughs> he was like, fan. he was our best blocking. Throw it, throw it to right, Fant, you tight coward. end. But throw it to Fant, you cowards. Um, okay, um, but yeah, uh, I think what this proved is that Wisley is that Disley and Vanette and and or Dixon is a functioning tight end core for an NFL team. Yeah, we don't need to get a tight end. All these guys are under contract for next year. It's This is our tight ends. Right Running back seems good. You're looking at them, and tight end is not an important enough part of our offense that I think it really matters that much. Vanette had 17 first downs on 30 receptions, which is pretty nice. Um, yeah. It's important enough, Vanette though, had that five on eight. It's a... <laughs> It's a guy. You mean Disley in the middle? Disley, sorry, it's a guy Disley. in the middle of the field that you can rely on when you absolutely have to. I mean, they're just they're, yeah. They're, they all were over fifty percent first downs, which I know is like kind of normal for tight ends. But okay, good. They were all decent. Like, I do want to bring this part up. We utilized our tight ends as checkdown receivers much better than we utilized our running backs, and that first down number is the illustrated story of that. Ed Dixon, because we actually threw it to them beyond the line Ready of scrimmage. For this, Kevin, Ed Dixon, much better runner than I thought. Yeah, he was. All right. No, like, he still has some he wheels. Was. I remember his Oregon days. Yeah, I mean, dude, he he had like more importantly, I remember his Oregon days. Weaved through everyone and got like what was that long catch he had? I think it was where uh, the dude whiffed 40, the tackle and 40, he just ran forty-two yards. Yeah. Oh, I like I like Ed Dixon. I think he's a very he's fine. NFL he's solid. Player. It All made right. sense that we we signed him. I'll say this about the tight ends: it proved it didn't prove we we found a, the Sea Biscuit secret to Nick Vanette. So <laughs> just meaning Sea Biscuit, he like had a fine. it was a, a way to figure out how to get this horse to actually move into the potential he had. The end. It turns out use him like a regular tight end. Well, that's all he had to realize. He had to he had to realize the love in his heart, Kevin, and it was there all along. It turns out he was a zebra. Wait, that's the wrong movie. All right, I, I just want <laughs> racing stripes. Did you just make a racing stripes <laughs> reference? Holy sh! All right, I, I don't want to talk too much about the tight ends because I thought it was like kind of a non. You know, Nathan's like come on, nondescript go. year for the. They're group. fine. Fifty-four total receptions. They were okay. Like, but were, I am serious though that it says something about how the offense runs. Like, I think that the way it speaks to the overall offensive scheme is important. Okay. Offensive line. Um, let me just say this. It's amazing how bad this looks, and it's still so much better. So, <laughs> last year, our offensive line was horrible. So, if I look at pro football focus rating. In 2017. 2017. If I look at pass block blocking, the Seahawks are 30th. If I look at run blocking, the Seahawks are 30th. Okay, if I look at 2018 and I look at pass blocking, the Seahawks are 18th. And if I look at run blocking, we're 22nd. Were we great this year? No, but we were not dog shit and it looked so different. It made the whole thing look different. Now, here's the thing. Dwayne Brown is really good. Yeah, Dwayne Brown is really good. Um, And he locks down that left tackle spot. And it's like, 
it's the offense instantly got 10 ranks better from the, the worst offensive line in the league to the 20th worst offensive line in the league. And that makes a huge difference for the whole offense. We were able to move the ball on the ground, which we could not do in 2017. We were able to throw and have time to throw, which we did not we did, did not have in 2017. 2017's offense was basically like, Russ, just do, make something happen. Do something great. Oh, you led the league in touchdowns somehow because you're so freaking good. So it was nice to see that. Now, there's definitely weaknesses. Uh, Sweezy. Start with Sweezy. Well, wait. Can I want to just read the names. I, no, I want to go back over what you're saying real quick. Okay. Because the other part is we need to bring up Solari. Okay. We have Dwayne Brown and then we have Solari. And there's a big thing that you notice as soon as Solari took over. Well, the guys knew their assignments. Guys understood their assignments. Imagine. And so the offensive line didn't block like five people trying to block. They blocked like an offensive line trying to block. They understood how to hand off stunts. They like, I mean, there were problems when injuries depleted us, but they clearly understood how to function as a line unit. 2017 listeners will remember that one of my favorite things to do was to break down an individual play on the podcast and talk about how nobody on the play would knew who to block or no one, people would just run into space and not block anyone. Mm-hmm. That never happened this year, like hardly ever. It was like people knew who to block, or guys wouldn't just randomly fall down at the start of a play. Like just, <laughs> it's just like that, that stuff. That stuff's over. Or um, so, yeah, we were in a more meme. second level stuff. Okay. Pro Bowl offensive guard Jair Sweezy. <laughs> um, wow, did, was not a, a great addition to the Seahawks. He did his job. And I would love to see them improve upon that position. His grade is strikingly game. similar to Ethan Posich, and that should tell you what you need to know. Yeah, it, but guys, he's a pro bowler. He did play on like a broken ankle in the playoff game. Like I can't like sure. I can't begrudge him. Like he's a he's a he's a he did his job as good. He's gonna get a contract because he made that Pro Bowl. Someone's gonna be like, let's give him six million dollars for one year. I can't and I wish them him. I wish them the best of luck. That team should I wish not be Sweezy the, the best of luck. Yeah, good. yeah. Sweezy, I wish you the best of luck in all your future endeavors. I hope you land in He a has great his best years spot. here. I hope he realizes and that. And I look forward to that draft pick we get for someone else paying him six million dollars. Jer- Jermaine Fetty is a passable pass blocker now, which is something I thought never thought I would say. But with his combination of athleticism and size, it should have been the case all along, right? Yes. Yeah, um, but he, there's he the mental. Stand, he it can takes stand you up at least two seconds to run around him. Yeah. yeah, it's the mental issues we've talked about before. It's funny when you said that he's passable. I just pictured like you as Princess Leia, and he was Han Solo at the end of Star Wars, and you were just awarding him a medal because that's like the the biggest praise he's ever got on this program. Well, Afedi, Afedi gave up 32 pressures this year, and which, which is bad. Which is not great. It's fine. It's it's like. Probably in the middle. If I looked, at, if I looked up how many pressures, because Dwayne Brown gave up twenty three, so it's not like horrible. It's it's passable. And Jr. Sweezy gave up twenty six from an interior line position, which is like impressive, because interior pressure is not. Well, Postage gave up sixteen in five games, so I mean, <laughs> yeah, they were both really bad. <laughs> Postage is Postage. Here's the thing: we had high hopes for Postage on this podcast, I think, and I think his future is as an NFL center. He cannot stand up to uh the size and speed here's the of- thing he has a lot of trouble with power but he also can't handle speed very well he's on the justin Britt career path where like he's gonna find his way as at the center speaking of Britt, postage is massive Britt, though Britt is the kind of guy that i think this is it his seahawks run is kind of coming to a close because postage is probably gonna replace him as center that's my that's my kind of uh under the radar prediction is that when jade we're gonna hold on to postage until his contract runs down and then Britt will you mean the other way? 
We're hanging on to Brit until yeah, down Brit's contract and then post a just slide so in. So like Brit, and you know, when Brit expires, I think it's after this season. Is it 2019 or is it 2020? Whenever, whenever Brit goes, he'll get a big money contract from someone though, because he's pretty good. He's not the best, but he's pretty good. He started a lot of games, which people confuse with being good, um, uh, since that's how the NFL works. All right, George Fant. George Fant played 142 snaps of right tackle, 229 snaps of tight end, and I'm going to come out and say it. He was consistently very good at blocking people. Um, I was very impressed by George Fant and to the point where I wonder if it wouldn't be worth it to really let him try to compete for that right tackle job with Fetty. I know that he had his worst game of the season, that full game where he played right tackle for most of the game. But I really think that if we get a good right guard in the offseason and then let Fetty and Fant fight to the death for that right tackle spot, it could really lead to a super solid offensive line at the beginning of the season. And we already know Fant can play six tight end slash sixth offensive lineman slash tight end next year. So we have a role for him if he loses the battle. Yeah, he's a swing tackle worst case. I think take a look at our interior offensive lineman. Uh, Britt is solidly okay. Sweezy is probably gone and not very good. Posage is unreliable. Jordan Simmons is a giant question mark. That's our future center you're talking about, Kevin. Yeah, he's still unreliable. Um, Until he proves it on the field, I agree. And DJ Fluker was injured for significant chunks of the season to the point where he was unreliable for a very different reason. He only played in 11 games. He played about half as many snaps. And he's not under contract for next year, and I I don't know what it takes to get him back. If it's similar to what we gave him this year... I'd do it, but okay. I still wouldn't want to rely on him. Yeah, I'd run it back, but I'd probably want to draft a guy that I could rely that I could at least try out in that spot in the offseason. So I think the thing is we need at least one guard, at least, preferably two. I think you which want... means if you have Fant and Fetty well, square off against you, each other, what about Jordan Simmons, I can see Kevin? slide in. Don't you think Jordan Simmons is one of those two guys already? No. Starter? No. I think Jordan Simmons has I thought Jordan Simmons was pretty good. In the games that he played at right guard. I think that Jordan Simmons should be in consideration for a rotational spot, but I don't want to go in going, yeah, this is one of our two guys starting. I think Kevin also, if I may just back up what Kevin's saying, Kevin, you want some experience. You want some veteran leadership that is better than Sweezy at that guard position because this is exactly what you were talking about this time last year. Uh, I think that re- like I think either re-sign Fluker or a guy like that is a good idea, but I also want to bring in a rookie. I think we I think we need bodies. Not Simmons? Why do we have to cut Simmons in order to bring somebody else in to compete? I'm not saying we have to. I'm just saying like you want a rookie. I don't know. I unless, unless you're talking like a first round the, no, return of the James Sweezy's Carpenter. gone. Yeah, well, Sweezy's gone. Sweezy's gone. Bring in a guy to replace him and compete for the spot. We don't need a guy competing for tackle because we have Jamarco Jones, who's functionally a rookie, and it'd be interesting to see what he does. And we have Fant to compete over there. If Afedi slides in, that's great. But still, I thought Afedi, I want to bring him. Afedi played at guard was not good. Sure, but he has a whole off season to figure it out. I don't want. I don't want him to be the, one of the guys that compete. I'd rather go out and get like James Carpenter back or like I. I, I see what you're saying, Kevin. James Carpenter was good when he was on the Jets, man. Nathan, when you were talking about... Yeah, when he wasn't being weighed down by uh, the uh, terrible <laughs> offensive of line coaching. Uh, from, Nathan, from Quable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nathan, when you were saying that uh, you would 
you would like to see Fant and Effetti maybe duke it out for that spot. Is there a chance, and this is a leading question, is there a chance that why Effetti isn't good at guard and why Effetti is starting is because if he is not the given right tackle starter, they can't trust him to come in as a backup role? To like he mentally can't take it or something? To be honest, I just think he hasn't played guard. Okay. That's why he's not good at guard. He hasn't played it in the NFL. He's had a lot of time to practice being a tackle. What is this? Is this will be his fourth season next year? Yeah, but no time playing Third. as guard. I think it, so. He's just not playing as guard. So then, yeah, we just he needs he needs time. He needs time to uh to kind of come into that that role. If they're gonna make him a guard, they should have done it like two seasons ago. They should have done it before it started. This yeah, next season is his fourth year. Yeah. So I mean, he really. I really think that they should have stuck with him at guard. Like twenty sixteen, he was a guard. And they should have stuck with that, or once they move to tackle, stick him at tackle. But a guy like him that has the physical tools but doesn't have the mental uh, side 100% hammered out needs the consistency of playing one position, learning that position, mastering that position. That's why they didn't want to move Fant back and forth between left and right side of the, the offensive line, right? Because they wanted Fant to be good at left tackle before he had to try to learn another position. Right. And so now we'll have – I Okay. So I think we're in a situation where we're all comfortable going into next year with Fant, Afedi, and uh, Brown as the three guys kind of handling the tackle situation. And then Britton Posich is their centers, so then we just need to figure out guards, basically. Right. So I, I think I think we're all on the same page there. And guard is where we got our weakest play last year. So uh, then I'm really okay. Like, and when I say weakest play, DJ Fluker did really well in pass blocking, which was unexpected. But um, overall, if you're looking at the weak link in our offensive line, it was on the interior. And I think to an extent, some of the poor guard play uh, contributed to Justin Britt also grading out more poorly than he has in the past. But even with that scenario, we're looking at a massively upgraded offensive line that we can see getting even better. We're looking at probably, if we moved up to, what, probably the 20th best offensive line last year, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect us to move into the top 15. Yeah. I don't think higher uh, it starts getting much harder to do. Dreams. But, like, we're looking at a bang average offensive line. We are living the dream, gentlemen. That's truth. Okay. So, thank you for listening to the CXNS podcast. Welcome to the Money Zone. Uh, if you'd like to support the CXNS podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest and for as little as a dollar twenty four month gain access to our off season videos and in season betting tips. Um in the in the uh off season, you know, like send us a send us a line on there about what, what you want to see. A forest is our forest once per season you get to pick the movie. So uh, let us know what season we're gonna what movie we're opening up next season with. Also thank you to Richard, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Chuck Attila, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank Michelle and Nick, you guys are helping us out uh, a ton. If you don't have any money, head over to iTunes, Five Stars, Spotify, um, wherever you find uh, your podcast. Five Star Review helps a lot, helps people find it. Um, oh, as we get into position groups, be sure to hit us up. Let us know if there's something you want us to talk about with defensive backs. Yeah, people are. Talk to us. People are. Tweet I, us, won't you? Yeah, I know people are tweeting us now, like guys that they want us to like kind of break down and look at, and we will do that. So if you there's a player you saw like in a game, and you're like, what about this guy? What do you think of them? Let us know, and we'll we'll break them down and tell you where we think they're going in the draft, and if the Seahawks would be 
interested. All right. Oh, super secret bonus. If you are a Patreon, (laughs) I will do this with one per week. If somebody who is a Patreon member would like to uh, ask um, about one draft pick, I will happily post at least a solid paragraph of what I have for on them so far. And if I have nothing on them, I'll research them just for you. Yeah, we'll make a little uh, little video or something. Okay, uh, okay, okay. Movie zone. I'm excited about this one because because not only did not only did this uh, this choice engender instant controversy, but by the end of show prep, Kevin was like a convert, and it, he like his his heart grew four sizes in regards to this movie. So, um, our our movie is 1993's Demolition Man. That's right. The t- Salone, <laughs> Snipes, Taco uh, Bell, Taco Bell. Okay, so the, really, really uh, third building. So this movie takes movie place in. Okay, about. let's start with this. The movie takes place in 1993. It opens up with in 1996, the dark future of 1996, where like apparently that <laughs> the, the L.A. riots just never ended, and now we're in like a dystopian future. Uh, John Spartan, who is played that's Sylvester best, Stallone's character's yeah, name, best name ever. Oh, uh, by the way, the names are such a thing in this. So he he leads like a a. Um, like an unauthorized assault in a helicopter. He like jumps out of a helicopter in a row with a rope uh, to, to catch Wesley Snipes, whose name in the movie is Simon Phoenix. And it's like a running thing in the movie. He just Good yells last name. Phoenix as loud as he can. Uh, Phoenix. Um, so here's what happens. He does the a thermal scan of the building. The tallest of the chipmunks. He does a ther- thermal scan of the building. He doesn't see <laughs> any criminals or any, sorry, any hostages. Nope. So he decides, okay, I'm going to blow up this building then and kill uh, Wesley Snipes. And, because that's responsible. This is the first weird thing. The explosion of this building is like incredible and apparently real. I, I did like they were actually demolishing this building in Los Angeles. So they took advantage of that. It was the old uh, water waterworks, the uh, Los Angeles waterworks factory, yeah, the, the power company. And, yeah, like, they they said which was already rigged to explode, but they put in a bunch of like gallons gasoline of gasoline. <laughs> oh yeah, it's crazy. The explosion you is, can tell it's like the biggest explosion until Michael Bay. Uh, got his hands on some explosives. So anyway, the Wesley Snipes claims that John Spartan saw the hostages. So they put them both into somehow in 1996, three years after this movie's made, they've invented some kind of cryogenic jail, which they freeze both of them. Well, all I, the energy that we put into stopping the riots, they were putting into cryogenic jail. Nathan, <laughs> it was 1996. They call it the cryo- California Cryo Penitentiary. So so Stallone's and Snipes get frozen in time. Don't let Ted Williams' dreams be dreams. So now in 2032, they 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 take they don't take Stallone out. No, he's still in jail. He does he does not. Deserve he's in jail forever out. for being a cop because you know that's what happens when cops kill innocent. But they decide to, to thaw out the, the other psychopath. They decide to to thaw out Wesley Snipes, and they thaw for parole. He murders like everyone in the room, stabs the 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 guy's eye, and uses it to get out. <laughs> with yeah, like he a does, chopstick. Hold on, he's not just killing everyone in the room. He's doing it with style. You know, like. He's an excellent, you know, knife thrower. He throws someone through glass. We later find out there's a reason for that. Should we spoil it now? No, no. Save okay, it. we'll wait. So, so, so then, well, another weird thing here Plot is that, like, tease. in the we're in 2032 now. The future. It's like a very like sterilized utopia. Um, Which, by the way, we are now closer to 2032 than we are to, tw- to 1996. Um, Deal with that. So, yeah. so it's like some kind of like weird sterilized utopia. But the in the movie, so none of the cops know how to like defeat <laughs> defeat wesley snipes yeah they, they don't know how to actually deal with violent criminals they just know how to like 
Levy finds. What is he doing? He's like peeing on a on a building or something, and then like a guy tries to confront him, and he's got that the tablet with the guide of like how to arrest him. Yeah, and yeah. like walks him through the Miranda. And he's extremely and polite about it. He's like, "Sir, you need to put your hands behind your back." So then Wesley Snipes just beats the brakes off of like eleven cops. Yep, because the LAPD at this point in time is completely useless. Um, so what is the, what are the what are the cops going to do, Eric? What, what are they going to do? Well, it's the only thing you can do. You have to use evil to fight evil. Grab the evil cop because they don't know he's you know just a framed cop at this point. Grab John Spartan out of cryofreeze and fight evil with evil. And boy, does it work! That's right. <laughs> Because Boys, the, the future isn't turned okay, right on there's its a downside. The hardened militant badass, his last name is Spartan. John the guy Spartan. who rises from the grave, that's Phoenix. <laughs> and then the uh, chick living Quiet, in the... I don't want to hear your themes The chick symbolism. living in the dystopian future, her last name is Huxley. Because Brave New World. subtlety doesn't exist in 2032. As you, were, as you pointed out, Kevin, you were like watching the making of this before the show and you're like wow this was really a labor of love it was <laughs> it was the, thing yeah, about that's this movie a, the is, more i researched it the more i stopped hating it it's just stallone and snipe suck in this movie yeah the action set pieces are like real real bad weird yeah that like the explosions are cool but the there's like scenes where it, this like, is the opposite of last week's movie last week's movie the action set pieces were all really good they, in a um sudden death it was fun. All right, so let's talk about and some then of everything the, else sucked. Let's talk about and this the, one. <laughs> the weird stuff from 2032. All right, Eric, Taco Bell. Tell me about Taco Bell in, in Demolition Man. Wait, what about Pizza Hut? Well, whoa, whoa, we'll get to Pizza Hut. Don't don't be like Europe and try and, uh, you know, horn Pizza Hut into this. So we found out that obviously this was... Uh, okay, so in the movie, basically Taco Bell is the, wint- the winner... Of the fast food wars, is that what this yes. is called? Uh, the franchise, franchise, franchise wars. wars. Oh, I'm sorry, the franchise wars, and they don't uh, they don't really tell you much about these wars, except that Taco Bell is the winner. Many lives are lost. Which you know, let's face it, if you're going to have one winner, it should be Taco Bell. That's where I'll stand forever. Do you think they have to say thank you to your, for your service every time they get? No, but I'm sure there was a statue of the uh, little Chihuahua at some point <laughs> in this world. So feel some joy, joy. <laughs> so what they did is, of course, the. <laughs> Sorry, the, that, was, that was a demolition man. The makers of this movie were they, they floated this to a bunch of fast food franchises, and a bunch of them were like, "No, it's an R-rated movie. We have Happy Meals. We have whatever the hell Burger King has. We can't do this." They also saw the script and realized it was a fever dream. Yes. <laughs> well, Taco Bell was like, "Yes, this sounds right up our alley, right here." So in the movie, Taco Bell is like this this destination. However, a little bit of trivia in parts of Europe. Pizza Hut reigned supreme. This is a quote, and this is no joke. You can find this online. Dubbed over in English versions of this film, dubbed over Taco Bell, are the actors saying Pizza Hut. And what? describing pizza, which was the funnier part. Yes. Pizza, pizza Hut and Taco Bell, both uh, owned by the same company. That's um, part of it for sure, too. Okay. Just getting deeper into Franchise Wars lore there. Yeah, but... Eric, Eric, does the choice of Taco Bell disappoint you at all, or are you okay with it? You know how much I love Taco Bell. We've talked about this a number of times. If if they would have said, uh, you know, McDonald's breakfast, I would have been equally as happy. It's fine. It's great. <laughs> if they'd have said Arby's, we'd have had some fighting words. But uh, the the scene in the movie, we talked about, like... The high-class Taco Bell. What? <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, this is like, the... the uh, I don't know the upscale version of Taco Bell. It has a new logo. My 
my memory of this film is John Spartan, Sylvester Stallone, yelling, You're the guy from Taco Bell! Like he's never heard of the restaurant before. <laughs> it's an immediate callback to how great this movie is. Okay. Great. Uh, terrible. Yes, he, he yells at it in an accusatory fo- to- yes, tone, too. But, he, but he's like... In a very inappropriate moment. He for, He's like, should I emphasize the bell? Mm-mm. Now, this won the Bass Award for best... best uh, Score too. Okay, uh, <laughs> just thought you guys should know. Um, award-winning score. Well, I mean, so. Sting. Um, no, that's for the score, Kevin. Not the not the soundtrack. And, and not and not RoboCop's friend Sting. Not the Robo, other not Sting. The other Sting. Yeah, Sting sings the song, de- the title song, titular track, Demolition Man. Uh, okay. Um, got got me totally off track here. Now I totally lost yeah. my. Oh, other weird twenty. Oh, we're talking about weird twenty thirty two things. Okay. Um, the three seashells, obviously. Yeah. Got to bring up the three seashells. Famous. So, uh, John, uh, John Spartan goes to take a dump. He goes to the bathroom. <laughs> He's like, you uses a, uses out of toilet paper. And then, <laughs> and then Rob Schneider's <laughs> in there yucking it up about laughing at him about how he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. Yeah. Why did, and they never explain it. And it's like a total like internet thing. Like people try to figure out how to use the three seashells, which to so, this day, people are still gonna, doing this. So we're going to play a game. What is your what is your top three seashells theory, Eric? What do you how do you think you use the three seashells? Man, I've been thinking about this since 1996. I got my I got my three seashells theory. You guys want me to go first? Do it, please okay. do because I'm just gonna be gross. Each, each seashell covers a hose, so when you lift up the seashell, the first first one is a rinse, the second one is a uh, a soap, and the third one is a dry or something now like that. Now this is a smart man. <laughs> This is that's really great, Nathan. That's because I, I was trying to think of what it actually could be, you know. But I, I was like, I mean, most you people throw like, the she- seashells away. What do you do? <laughs> you scrape them off, and yeah, and and you're only allowed three because in the future you're not eating Taco Bell. Now that theory's blown out of the water. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, Taco Bell gives you diarrhea still, even in the future. I bet that's a fact. This is a dystopia. <laughs> Kevin, do you have a three seashell theory? Uh, so I'm going to piggyback off of yours because it's better than anything I was coming up with, and that is this is supposed to be a future utopia. Before uh, before John Spartan and Simon Phoenix get there, and thus they would have realized that the bidet is the superior wiping method, and therefore it is for three different types of rinse. Oh, like three different like like uh, like pressure pressure settings. Three pressure settings on the rinse. Except, uh, sorry, it's two. You have like a, a a heavy rinse for you know when you have those heavy moments for for Taco Bell, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, like a light rinse for mop up duty. And then the last one is the air dry. Okay, uh, other weird 2032 things. So we haven't even mentioned yet. Dennis Leary and friends are living underground. They they can't eat. Uh, they're trying to get steal food. And it's all because they don't want to live under the tyrannical rule of... Um, is it... Who's the bad guy? Uh, Nigel Hawthorne or something? Yeah, it's Nigel Hawthorne. Yeah, right? they don't yeah. want to live under his society with rules. Yeah, he, they don't like his rules. They want to be able to eat whatever they want. They want to eat rat burgers. Yeah, they eat burgers made out of rat. Taco Bell, not bad enough. Um, okay, so then, uh, this, this obviously, uh, that goes on there. So Dennis yeah, Leary, Dennis is, Leary does half of his stand-up skit. Dennis Leary is actually pretty good in this movie. It's, I don't a, wanna, it's a good one. I don't this, I, this directly resulted in him landing the Operation Dumbo drop roll. Just saying. Is there any other 20? Yeah, this is like everyone, like Sandra Bullock and Dennis Leary. They're early on these people. Like Bullock had not blown up yet. This is, yeah, they talked about speed. how this was right before she blew up in speed. And this is Dennis Leary's first Actually, major film. Actually, she didn't blow up in speed. Spoilers. Oh, 
Thanks, Kevin. Um, any other weird 2032 things that you guys want to mention? Uh, we're probably forgetting some that people are going to oh, get mad the, about. Oh, uh, the foam oh, in the car? Arnold used to be president. Arnold was president. Yeah. They, yeah. had, they had made amendments. They act like this movie's way ahead of its time, you know, this predicting movie, tablets. This predicted tablets, video conferencing. Um, uh, there's, like, non-cybersex. Self-driving Cybersex, cars. Self-driving cars, GPSs. Like, all these things that didn't video exist phone? are in this movie. It's pretty sweet. Like, I think that, that, that that's, like, one of the most impressive things about this movie, looking backwards, is how I just the don't... technology almost all came to be in 1993. I don't know if you remember 1993, but we didn't have anything. <laughs> nope. You go uh, watch the NBA Network and look at the graphics from 1993 game, and you'll remember how bad things were. <laughs> yeah, uh, the true dystopia it's in true. this. <laughs> uh, I guess one one thing that I'm not missing from this movie is all the one-liners. We haven't talked about the one-liners between Spartan and Phoenix. Oh man, they were Seagal bad. Yeah, and they're it's when I say one-liners, I'm not saying they're bad, super clever. Like Wesley Snipes will say something. Kind of clever, and then Sylvester Stallone would say something like, "No, you are." Yeah, <laughs> and back stop, and forth. or my mom will shoot. Oh, wait. <laughs> Phoenix, Phoenix. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, the movie wait. the movie ends with like, wait, oh, I didn't get to go over the okay. Oh, oh okay. So uh, it turns out right? when they're cryogenically frozen, um, oh, yeah, in order yeah, to yeah. help rehabilitate this them, this is a huge plot point. This is because this explains why Simon Phoenix isn't uh, inept. Um, they are, uh, basically given, like, uh, Matrix-style programming yeah. while they are cryogenically frozen in order to help them, so they identify something that'll help them, like, manage their anger and stuff. So, you know, Sylvester Stallone, he becomes good at knitting, which is pretty handy, whereas, uh, it turns out that they're programming... That's a comedic plot point right there, by the way. And factual to the movie. Um, also, prolific knitter, factual to real life. Bet you didn't know that. Uh, so Simon Phoenix, uh, his recuperation skills are like ninjutsu and like nuclear physics, computer hacking, and computer. Like he basically turned him into the perfect criminal. But why? Murder, why murder death kill. This? Like, murder death kill. That's murder the worst death crime. kill. Why did they do this, Kevin? They did this in order to set him up to kill one of the leaders, Dennis Leary. Yeah, they, yeah he's, he's, he's going to kill Dennis Leary's. Uh, um, rebellion, and it backfires on them. So because so, Jesse Ventura kills the uh, yeah, so the, the pope. He, he's like brainwashed him <laughs> enough so that the the yeah he, he's dressed like the pope, but he has like one of those weird like white um, hat, uh, white castle hats. Yeah. So so then um, way the, less impressive pope hat. So then he uh, but he can't kill them because he's like brainwashed. But what he did, but at some point in the movie, Wesley Snipes uh, convinces him to unfreeze all of his friends, and so. He's like, okay. Uh, he unfreezes all his friends, and then Wesley Snipes is like, well, I can't kill you. But he can. And he just throws a gun to Jesse Ventura, who shoots the guy in the chest, and they throw him into like a fire immediately. Yeah. Like, just throw his it, whole body in there. Burn his body. So then we get a big shootout, which is also bad. And then there's another big shootout at the end of the movie, where um, which is bad. And in that scene, they free- he freezes Wesley Snipes. And then he says, heads up, and kicks his head off. Yep. With know. some really <laughs> bad blood effects. Well, it's frozen, Kevin. I don't know if you so then, know what. Never mind. Then at the end, you know, like they like, oh yeah, we shouldn't be under the the tyrannical rule. Let's let's all be friends and make our own choices and have real sex. And then he they and they kiss. Yeah, then he kisses uh, Sandra Bullock, and the movie ends. Um, 
and they decide they're going to resolve their differences because Sylvester Stallone's advice is basically the equivalent of the look on Powers Booth's face when the <laughs> helicopter crashes at the end of uh, Sudden Death. All right. Um, okay, so what? what's your review of this movie? I would say this movie is, like, super bang average because they're... they're like I said, it's near psychic in like that it has a lot of really interesting technological ideas that came to fruition. Um, oh yeah, another weird twenty thirty two thing. They you get fined for swearing, drinking caffeine. Like there's like these little machines that print out tickets for you. Yeah, if and you, that's the whole thing is if you're a functioning human being, you realize why Dennis Leary would rather eat a rat burger because some of that stuff is very necessary in society. Yeah. So, but the, oh, I mean, everyone I mean, has to be Ned Flanders. But the the action is kind of I think sub subpar, other than the explosions. <laughs> you think? And then and so it kind of on balance is it's it's good it's good but not great. I like it. Uh, Demolition Man, you should watch it, Eric. I yes. I was, you, I was gonna say I will give this movie two out of five Taco Bell demo deals. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much along the lines of you. My review for this is similar to your review, Nathan, of Venom, which is, I'm entertained the entire time. What a pile of crap. Two out of five stars. <laughs> yeah, I like this bet. I think this is better than uh, Venom. You know, it's like... Ooh. Disagree. Um, uh, I actually think it's very similar. They're both losers. And they like needed movie, each other in order to get to the future. But this movie has like a point of view, in my opinion. Uh, the which world is like building is really fun and everything, but for a movie that's kind of being driven by its action uh the action sucks someone it's wanted this really movie bad. to be smart and they wanted it to be an action movie and it somehow pulls it off when we talk about it yeah this is like a robocop if robocop wasn't good <laughs> or friends with sting <laughs> for kevin garber for eric ronenbeck we will see you next week go hawks sting's friend robocop